Hello and welcome to episode 103 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Pauly. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good, Mark. Thanks for asking. And how are you, Jacob? I'm doing great. You know, it's It's been a great week for baseball. Things are finally ramping up. And hey, spring training is now less than a month away, so there's a lot to be excited about. Fingers crossed that spring training starts on time, as we've heard some things this week that might indicate otherwise. But before we get to the baseball topics for today, I want to introduce everyone to our Patreon, which we just launched this week. You can find it at the link in our description for this podcast or at patreon.com slash section 138 pod. You can get exclusive access if you chip in a couple bucks to our bloopers, our patron-only discord. You can get your choice of intro or outro music on the pod and a bunch of other things. So head over to, again, patreon.com slash section 138 pod. All right, so this week the Blue Jays signed Marcus Simeon to a one-year $18 million deal. They also traded for Steven Matz from the New York Mets. This seems like the couple of last deals we need the Blue Jays to make. It doesn't look like they're totally finished, but this is getting towards the finish line. Let's start off with Simeon. Um, the first impressions of this deal for a lot of people was that it was too much money, you know, one-year $18 million for a guy who didn't have a great 2020, you know, he had only 0.5 war after coming off a great 2019 season. Do you guys think this satisfies the Blue Jays' need for an infielder, and do you think the amount of money they spent on Marcus Simeon is worth it? Uh, I I think it's worth it, and only because of the fact that it's a one-year deal. I just feel like it's very impossible for a one-year deal to go bad. I just I don't think there's such thing as a, a bad one-year deal. But the Marcus Semien rumors to begin with kind of came out of nowhere because he was one of the names that we never really discussed in terms of infielders that the Jays were in on. It was Didi Gregorius that came up the past couple of weeks. Um, it's always been Justin Turner and uh, a few other names. But for uh, Marcus Semien, or also Colton Wong is another name uh, who was um, talked about. Mark, I know how you feel about that one. Anyways, Marcus Semien, someone who the Jays never really spoke to. And I don't know what it is with this team this offseason, but the way that like all these signings are being broken down or reported very strangely, as it was the Semyon signing this time was uh, pretty much reported on Instagram and and not, you know, it was a verified account. I'm not sure his name. I'm sure you guys will mention it after I'm done of who it was exactly. But it was very weird because he the signing was announced and it was very descriptive and nobody really knew if it made sense or not, if it was true. And then... Uh, Jeff Passan came in and confirmed it later. So Marcus Semien will be coming here on a one-year deal worth $18 million. And it, the one part of the that was included in the Instagram post was that he was going to be coming over to primarily play second base. And that opened up a lot of questions right away of what's going to happen with Kevin Biggio? What's going to happen at third base, the outfield? And that created a lot of question marks. And the assumption that I'm going to get is that Kevin Biggio will be kind of transitioning to a super utility role. He's going to be one of those guys that are in the lineup every day, but he's going to be at a, almost a different position every day. He's going to spend time in third base. He's going to spend time in the outfield. And regardless, the Blue Jays are getting a very good infielder in Marcus Semien, somebody who did have a down 2020. And really, quite frankly, it was it was the start that he had. And slowly and slowly as the season went on, the shortened season as we progressed to the playoffs, Marcus Semien looked, began to look like his 2019 self. But the major start or slow start that he had at the beginning of the season reflects his poor numbers and yeah compared to what we've seen out of him in 2019 and uh years past his average was down pretty much everything about him was down his ops was down but the one thing to be optimistic about is if you look at his 2019 stats which is uh the best season uh by far of his career uh he was third in al mvp uh voting he was an all-star he was third in sorry al mvp 
voting. Um, he played all 162 games. He hit 285, and he had an OPS of 892. So this guy was an on-base machine in 2019, and uh, his his defense game, or sorry, him defensively as well, is definitely an upgrade in terms of everyone they have. He's a decent fielder as well, but you know, a lot of people were very skeptical about the money they they spent for this guy. But the one thing is is you 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 know this kind of closes off in terms of an infielder of. Uh, what the Blue Jays are going to do and how much they they've spent on this because the one thing we do know is that they were after the George Springer signing they were uh, creeping up in in terms of their budget that they were going to spend this offseason. Uh, there's reports that it was estimated around 140 million and currently or it might have been just after the Sambian signing they're at 132 now so there's not a lot of flexibility as there once was to work with and to bring in Sambian for one year um, that could be a massive win for them. Uh, he was. I just, you know, there's no such thing, in my opinion, as a bad one-year deal. He's going to be a good player with a lot of upside, and we've seen the potential he has in 2019. And the reason that reason alone gives should give Blue Jays fans optimism for a somewhat of a bounce-back year in particular. Um, from what we saw a couple years ago, he's, I, you know, we're, we're somewhat familiar with him. He's going to be coming to, regardless, he's going to be hitting in a hitters-friendly ballpark, a hitter, hitters-friendly division coming over from Oakland, regardless if he plays at Rogers Center or in Dunedin, uh, he's going to be hitting in hitter-friendly ballparks around the the American League East, and that's why it gives me more optimism as well. But it, you know, in my opinion, a great signing, someone that we never really spoke about, kind of came off the radar, and uh, I'm I'm quite honestly, I'm kind of surprised how he came over here on a one-year deal. I was kind of expecting more of a multi-year deal from Marcus Semien. Maybe that's why he was also kind of overlooked in terms of potential names for this team, but. Um, you know, that obviously he didn't like the market or something happened there, but I'm glad he came over here and uh, for one year, Marcus Samuel, that can turn out to be really special. And probably, and it looks like it's the final piece for the infield. Uh, starting pitching still an area of need, and it maybe closes the book or the closes the possibility of adding another outfielder just because of the flexibility that they have. But uh, one of the one a great signing to close off the offseason in terms of position players. Okay, so I mean, 18 million dollars is a little bit too much. I think some people have argued that it is a lot of money, but I don't think that we can really look at it as objectively as that. I mean, when you look at what has transpired, especially the day of the signing, Shai Davidi went out and said that uh, essentially what the Blue Jays are going to do is they're going to move Kevin Biggio to third and Simeon's going to take over second base. And I take that as he's going to be an everyday player, at least for this season. And let's be real here. The Blue Jays, you know, they have the money to spend, so it's not I, I guess you can say that this is kind of their, their year where they can spend a little bit too much money, but I think he is a good player. And as you mentioned, Bryson, he he has had very good numbers over uh, portions of his career. I mean, his career average is 254. So, I mean, that's, I'll take that if, you know, especially if you're going to put him in the 7-9 spot, maybe allow him to get on base, uh, uh, turn the lineup over, things like that. Uh, anything like that it would help the team win. And I mean, his 2019 numbers uh, were fantastic however in 2020 he did struggle a little bit although in 20, 2019 he did actually lead the league in plate appearances with 747 as well as playing all 162 games with a 285 average and a 369 on base percentage so he's going to get on base I think we should look at that rather than say 2020 he was bad because I mean 2020 was kind of a weird year for the majority of the league but I think this is a good move they, the Blue Jays now have some some more questions answered in the infield. They now have somebody that's going to take over second base and really solidify that. He's going to, he's going to be an everyday player. And I think this is a definitely a move that I'm welcome to. Yeah. I think the key question that we have to ask 
in this deal is whether the Blue Jays get the 2019 Marcus Simeon or the 2020 Marcus Simeon. Because a 2019 Marcus Simeon, like you said, Bryson, he finished third in MVP voting. He had 8.9 wins above replacement, which is actually more than Mike Trout had in 2019. Mike Trout had 8.2. So it's a question of, do we get the MVP caliber player that Marcus Simeon was, or do we get 2020 where he was worth 0.5 war? He had a batting average of 223 on base of 305, uh, slugging of 374. Again, not terrible stats, but not $18 million stats. That's more like $5 million stats, maybe less. So it's a question of which Marcus Simeon are the Blue Jays getting. But I think there's reason to believe that the Blue Jays are going to get 2019 Marcus Simeon, or at least close to 2019 Marcus Simeon, instead of the 2020 version of himself. Because you look at the splits for Simeon. Um, over the months of 2020, you look at the season July, August, and then September and October, his on-base percentage increased each of those months. July, only seven games, small sample size. It was 267. August, it was 289. And in September and October, it was 341. And then you look at slugging, same thing, increasing every month, except for September, it, it dipped down a little bit, but not much. And then OPS as well, 577 in July, 686 in August, 707 in September and October. So when you look at these stats, you kind of realize he was he he started off the season badly, but then he got better. And I think that's what the Blue Jays are hoping for. He can continue his strong performance that he had in the latter half of 2020 and get back to being who he was for the majority of 2019. And I think that's what the Blue Jays are betting on. And if they do get that version of Marcus Simeon, this is obviously a massive success. If you get a even a, a you know a five war version of Marcus Simeon for eighteen million dollars, that's great. But if you get the same thing he was in twenty nineteen, that's a an absolute steal. You would normally be paying someone like that thirty million dollars and have to overpay over a long term deal instead of getting him for eighteen million dollars on a one year deal. So yeah, I think this is a great move by Toronto, and it's a one year deal. If Marcus Simeon turns out he's actually just what he was in twenty twenty. Who cares? He's off the books after this season. The Blue Jays can reevaluate their approach. They can try to find someone new. They can, you know, promote internally and look at someone like Jordan Groshans, Austin Martin, if he's ready, although he probably won't be. So, you know, it's a short-term deal. There's nothing to lose. And I think the 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 pluses overweigh the the minuses in this signing. Absolutely it does. And the fact of the matter is, is the one-year deal, and that's the key um, thing to look at here regardless of the salary but yeah it he's off the books anyway and he, he joins a lot of players who are, are coming off the books in 2022 you know the amount of flexibility that the Jays are going to have um, even even next offseason it's going to be pretty crazy to believe all these uh, names are that are coming off the books but Marcus Semyon he's going to be or as Jacob mentioned he is going to be in the lineup every day he came over here to pl primarily play second base and for those reasons alone it just gives us optimism to believe that he can go back to his 2019 form and it, even if he's not 2019 form he's going to be closer to 2019 form than he was in 2020 form and that in that he's in, that's even looking at his career stats as well but lots of and lots of things to look at here it's just it's not a bad signing at all it's very very good and he's going to be a key piece of this offense and this offense continues to improve and it continues to be one of the top projected lineups so far in not just the American League East but the entire American League itself uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys actually when Shai Davidi came out with that tweet saying that Simeon's essentially taking over second base and Biggio is moving to third 
uh, Davidi also mentioned there that it kind of closes the door on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. moving to third base. He said Charlie Montoya was open to it, but it's pretty much third base is pretty much going to Biggio. Do you think that we'll see Guerrero at all, or do you, do you think that this is going to be kind of a he's at first base essentially this year and most likely into the foreseeable future? I mean, I've been seeing him at first base for the entire offseason, even if, as we've been seeing these videos of him working out and improving, I think he's still primarily a first baseman. I don't think that he really ever had a shot of playing at third base, but um, if he did, you know, if the front office wanted to see him at third base, I don't think this directly changes that. I think Kevin Biggio, even with the signing of George Springer, can still play in the outfield. I think he can still play at second base, at shortstop, whatever. If Bo Bichette takes a day off, if Marcus Simeon takes a day off, we saw him play at first a little bit. So if, you know, Rowdy Telez isn't playing or Guerrero isn't playing, of course, that obviously impacts the question of whether Guerrero is at third. But I think, you know, Kevin Biggio might primarily be the third baseman now, but I think he's still going to be moving all around the diamond. So I don't think it completely rules out him playing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. playing at third base, but I never really saw it as a possibility in the first place. Yeah, um, the thing with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is, yeah, it didn't seem very often, like, even going back to the days when he was going, or right away when he was going back to play in the Winter League and he was playing third base there, I left the door open just in case he performed well. But in that case, when you look back, and I remember we touched up on this uh, to conclude his numbers in the Winter League, and he just, in terms of his batting, he was fine. He was good offensively, but defensively, he had multiple errors again. And from that reason alone, I'm pretty sure that almost slammed the door shut. But for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he definitely will be looking... Or he, he'll he be an option at third base, don't get me wrong. It's just, you know, I'd be surprised if you see if you see it a lot in 2021. It seems to be, it's going to be some sort of emergency situation, not even. And maybe in the case late in the game when they got to add somebody off the bench and move people around, I think that's somewhat a candidate for him to enter the game as a third baseman. And then barring any other injuries, I don't see him actually starting games at third base. And yeah, that does close the door on him. Uh, it looks like he will be going to, f- uh, to first base. And for Kevin Biggio, yeah, he's going to be moving around. But I just wanted to mention, as I mentioned before, of the amount of players or are, are contracts that are coming off the books, I had to take a look at this and get the entire number for all you guys here. So Marcus Semyon will be off the books. He's making $18 million. Tanner Roark, $12 million. Robbie Ray, $8 million. Kirby Yates, $5.5 million. Uh, Steven Matz, a newly acquired Steven Matz, $5.2 million. Shun Yamaguchi has some sort of clause where he can be a free agent. That's $3.1 million. And Rafael Dolis, uh, $1.5 million. So when you add that up, it's over $50 million right there that are coming off the books. And the amount of financial flexibility that, that this team has, even signing Semyon to a one-year deal, makes it even more of a smarter move. And there's lots of directions that this team can go. And even if we head into... Let's just say, or, you know, the one thing a lot of fans are overlooking too is the off or the free agency isn't just the area where the Jays can add. People are forgetting too of the trade deadline next year because that, don't be surprised if the Jays could be active. They were active last year and we saw them pulling off a lot of low risk deals where for people like Taiwan Walker, uh, Robbie Ray, uh, I guess you have to throw in Jonathan VR. But, you know, this team too, as we head into the trade deadline, there's a lot of flexibility because of the offseason that they have ahead of them next year. And all these uh, players that are coming off the books and other big contracts that they can look to trade, maybe Randall Grichuk, that's a name that's been been thrown around. But, you know, I really like the way the Blue Jays have set themselves up here entering the season because even um, 
Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, they've been doing lots of interviews and maybe even in the Springer conference, I don't know if they mentioned it or not, but they alluded to multiple times that the free free agency isn't just the only way where they can add. So that's one thing that is going to be interesting for me is that trade deadline because of the financial flexibility that they have. But um, I'm just very um, happy with the deal and the one year just makes it all worth it to me in terms of paying him $18 million, but uh, a good signing and a great piece for the lineup. We saw some people saying that this wasn't the end of the pursuit for infielders for the Blue Jays. I mean, Chris Bryant has been a name that's been tossed around a little bit. Some people were saying they should still be involved in a deal for um, Chris Bryant and a pitcher or, you know, still be on the market for, we've seen other names, a name I like, Colton Wong, guys like that. Um, is that true? I, I personally think this ends it. Scott Mitchell said, you know, still be on the lookout. The Blue Jays could add, play someone at third base. You move Biggio to the outfield or Biggio, you know, he's playing in different positions every day to give someone a day off. I don't see that happening. I see the Blue Jays as now focusing all their attention on either A, a reliever or B, a starter, and that's it. I don't see them as pursuing an infielder, given that they've already got Simeon and that they've already got an infield crunch in terms of playing time. Do you guys think they're done on the infield or are you still keeping the open the the door open for another acquisition? I'm going to say they're done be, mainly because they they really need to be. Like you said, Mark, they're, they've got a crowded infield. They have guys coming up in the next couple of years who are, are going to even further crowd this and Quite frankly, I think I'm I'm happy with the infield they have. I thought it was good even before the Simeon acquisition, and I still think it's decent. With that being said, they they do need to get pitching. Bullpen is probably going to be uh, more of a. We'll see what happens towards the very very end of the off season. So I think right now it's probably just starting pitching. But moving forward, you know maybe there is the possibility that they do acquire pitching. But that is definitely their focus as of right now. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think they're done adding infielders, but I will add that I wouldn't be surprised if it's they're not done. Um, I just think that all these possibilities and all of the amount of activity that the front office has had this offseason, it just doesn't give me a firm answer to believe that they're completely done. But if I had to decide or choose an option, I think they are done. And the one thing, too, is Mark Shapiro mentioned, um, he, he quoted that the bulk of their heavy lifting was done. And in terms, and I mentioned the estimated budget of the offseason uh, a few minutes ago, and I just think they, they don't have as much flexibility. And I don't think they really need to make any more big uh, splashes in terms of putting up the, fin- uh, the final pieces as we head into the spring. But the one area of need for sure is starting pitching and relief pitching. And we know that there's still names out there. Jake Odorizzi, James Paxson, those guys are still out there. Uh, Steven Matz was acquired, but you know that doesn't necessarily mean and that's uh, that they're finished. And I, I don't believe they are finished based on what we've been hearing as well. But the one thing too is it's just lots of lots of um, possibilities in terms of adding. But yeah, for infielders, it just doesn't seem like it because of the crunch they have. And the only way that they do this now is if they make a trade because we do know that there's two players in particular uh, of a report this week that are gaining trade interest. Doesn't mean the Jays want to trade them. It's just that they're drawing the interest and it's Randall Grichik and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And I know how you guys feel about trading Gurriel Jr. because we kind of spoke about it earlier in the offseason when we were t- talking about a potential Lindor trade before he was traded to the Mets. And for Grichik, a lot of people are assuming that that's the guy to go to if you want to trade a guy he's got the highest salary but the other thing too is he doesn't have as much trade interest or trade value as Lourdes Gurriel Jr. would have so that's the thing to look at as well uh you know there was rumors of a Chris Bryant Kyle Hendricks package that would send them there it would it seems like um that may be dying down now as we 
you know, just after the amount of additions that the Jays have had, but I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised if some, they have something else up their sleeve, but as of now, uh, what they should be doing is focusing on starting pitching and signing either Jake Odorizzi or James Paxton. And then, of course, there's some um, good relief names still out there. We know that they've gotten Kirby Yates, so there's definitely something they're going to monitor as well, as they still have some much, some much a little bit more money to spend uh, as the spring approaches. So that's something that they should definitely be looking at. But for infielders, it just seems too crowded at this point. And the only way that it's going to work is if you make a trade. So we can't rule that out, but that just seems to be the only way because of the amount of names they have on the depth chart. And one trade they did make this week, of course, mentioned it earlier, but acquiring Steven Matz from the New York Mets in exchange for three pitching prospects, including um, Sean Reed Foley, um, also other guys in that deal, Yenzi Diaz and Josh Winkowski. So this deal wasn't what we were looking for in terms of starting pitching. Obviously, the Blue Jays still need you know that number two, number three guy. Steven Matz is a number five guy, if that... Um, but it does bolster the Blue Jays' depth. And I think this is something I said to you guys before, but I don't know what to think about this deal. I don't know if it's a good deal or a bad deal, and I don't think there's any way of knowing whether it's a good good deal or bad deal right now until we wait at least a year or two. Because Steven Matz could be good this year, or he could be absolutely horrible, like he was in 2020. These prospects, Sean Reed Foley, he's shown promise. He looked like he was getting himself together in the majors in 2020. That could have been a fluke because of the small sample size, or he could actually be good and pan out for the Mets as a reliever in the majors. Same with the other prospects for the Blue Jays. So I really have no idea what to think about this deal. And I know, you know, we come on this podcast to say what we think about things that the Blue Jays do, but I really don't know what to think about this, and I don't really have an opinion um, and I probably won't for a couple of years to see how it pans out. See, the main opinion that I have is that depth is great, but eventually you need to be able to rely on people. And Steven Matz uh, has been okay in his career. I mean, he was injured last year. Uh, however, throughout, throughout uh, 2019 and 2020, he does have a collective 509 ERA in just under 200 innings, which is not the most reliable in my opinion uh it's it's an okay move like you said mark you know the depth is great but eventually you need a guy that you can say i trust you to go out every five days and to pitch give us seven maybe eight innings or if you're charlie montoyo five innings but i want somebody that's going to basically solidify this rotation and i don't think that steven matz is unfortunately that guy uh, when you look at their rotation obviously we know pearson and ryu are going to take over we know te- uh Robbie Ray is going to probably be the fourth starter, but I don't know if I necessarily want Steven Matz and Tanner Roark being the other two starters, and no disrespect to them, but I think the Blue Jays need somebody better, because look, if you're in, if you're in the playoffs, whether it's the division series, whether it's the wild card series, whether, whether it's the world series, whatever the number of games is, five, seven, three, you need guys that are going to go out and give you solid innings, and I say playoffs because that's where the Blue Jays really expect to be now, so it's an okay move. I mean, it, depth is great, but eventually you need to you need to make moves that solidify your rotation. And we've mentioned guys all over this offseason with Jake Odorizzi, Taiwan Walker, maybe Trevor Bauer, although that's probably not happening. But the Blue Jays need guys that are going to solidify their rotation. And I just, uh, uh, no disrespect to Steven Matz, but I just don't think that he is the guy that I would have gone to trade knowing that your rotation is not solidified yet. 
Yeah, uh, you know, for acquiring Steven Matz, you hope that this isn't the final addition that they make for starting pitching or any type of pitching. And I'm sure that's not the plan, but of course you can't rule out the possibility that it is. But the one thing for Steven Matz, and when you look at it, to, to make it as simple as possible in terms of the depth chart, it's just what this is what the Jays have done this offseason, and this is what they're still missing in terms of starting pitching. They have bulked up on a bunch of four or five options and depth pieces in terms of Tanner Roark, Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling, Steven Matz. Those are four names right there that are back end of the rotation guys and if they don't make the rotation they're good bullpen options especially Steven Matz is a left-hander you can't rule out the possibility that he's coming out of the bullpen in terms of how he performs in the spring and the one question mark and the one thing they're still missing to this date uh is the, a two to three starter and that is why signing James Paxton or Jake Odorizzi or somebody else who's still available is essential for this team uh if they want to or in terms of being more of a complete team as we head into the spring. Because the lineup now is pretty much almost finished in terms of the additions and where they sit, and it's going to be a good one from what we know. But now the the one thing that's clearly holding this team back is the starting, uh, the starting pitching. And that's going to be pretty much a story of the spring, and it's going to be carrying into the season. You hope that people overperform as well to help this team compete. We know that Hunjin Ryu is the clear-cut number one starter right now, and Nate Pearson's got a lot of potential to eventually take that and become the future of this team uh, in the starting rotation. But they're still missing that two to three guy. And Steven Matz, unfortunately, is not that guy, but he is definitely a decent option. And I don't mind him because I see a lot of, um, you know, he's never been, in terms of an elite pitcher, he's never been there. His career ERA uh, is 435. So it's, it's okay for a career ERA. But the one thing for him too is, you know, last year he, he put up a 968 ERA and that's, you know, that, that seems to be very unrealistic heading into a full season. When you look at uh, this the year he had previously in 2019, it was a 421 ERA. So that kind of gives you maybe some optimism that he can kind of revert back to that form, maybe putting up an ERA in the low to mid fours. And I think that's something acceptable for his caliber. And that's the one thing that you hope that he can kind of do that because you don't want to see him putting up an ERA of nine in a full season. He won't last the year here if he's going to do that, especially on a competitive team who is going to try and compete for the Yankees for the division. So that's the one thing. And you, you need to have a little bit more optimism, which is why, Mark, I think you nailed it perfectly in our group chat when you said you don't you have to see how he performs because that's the that's the truth about this because you need to see what Steven Matz you're going to get. Are you going to get a 2019, maybe 2018 Steven Matz? 2018 Steven Matz had an ERA in the threes, the high threes. But the one thing that's important for or to support your point, Mark, is that the, the prospects that they gave up were not high-level prospects. They were mid-caliber prospects, and they were in the top 20s, but there's something that, you know, you're not right. As of now, you're not going to, I guess, lose sleep over giving them up. That obviously can change down the road depending on how they pan out for the Mets organization and, I guess, how Mets performs this season. But it's a low-risk, um, as of now, as of now, on 2021, it's a low-risk deal that can potentially, I guess, give you... a somewhat to a high reward or acceptable reward. And of course, those three prospects heading over to New York, that's just going to be, you're going to have to wait to see how that pans out. So Sean Reed Foley is the um, is pretty much one of those three prospects who we've only seen in the major leagues. One other one, um, I don't know which one it was, but he he pitched one game for the Jays in 2019 and it didn't go too well for him. Diaz? Yes. So yeah, Diaz had one appearance because I remember looking at, yeah, the career ERA is 27. So it didn't go too well, but it was one game. <laughs> And other than that, Sean Reed Foley is the guy that we've seen consistently, or not consistently, but we've seen his name on the roster. He's been up and down multiple times from 
Triple uh, A from the rotation. He's been in the rotation. He's been in the bullpen. He hasn't really seemed comfortable. Uh, he did show signs of promise in 2020, but overall, uh, for his career so far, it hasn't gone as expected because he was somebody who had a lot or was kind of a high level prospect a couple of years ago. So we'll see what happens there. And it is going to take a little bit to kind of determine who won this deal. And for Steven Matz as well, he's coming over here. He's he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's making $5.2 million. So it's a kind of a one-year thing, unless it pans out well and the Jays want to bring him back in 2022. But we'll see what happens. And Steven Matz, we know what we're getting out of him. And it's the fact of the matter is it's a back end of the rotation addition, and they're still missing that two to three starter. You know what? I take back what I said about having to wait for a long time. If the Blue Jays don't make another move for a starting pitcher this offseason, I think this move will, as a byproduct of that, be a bad move. Because the Blue Jays need to do something else. This does not really help the rotation. Yes, as we said, Matt's may fit in in the, you know, the fifth spot of the rotation. But it doesn't do what we know the Blue Jays need to do, which is to get a guy, number two, slotting right by behind Hyunjin Ryu and fill in that rotation. This does not solve that problem. So if the Blue Jays don't make another move, don't sign or trade for another guy who can fill that role, I think this move is a mistake as a product of that. But if they make another move, like I said, I, I got to wait years to figure out whether this is a good move or not. Yeah, I, I think Steven Matz is a good bullpen guy, and that's why I think getting a starter is so important because I believe it was six uh, uh, bullpen appearances over the over the course of 2019 to 2020. So he, I, I think he would be good, you know, middle of the of the game type of guy. You, you want him for two, maybe three at most innings, and he would be very, very solid. But if the Blue Jays don't get a starter, like we've all said, and he is your number three, or even if he's your number four or five starter and you move Tanner Rourke and Robbie Ray up to those three and four spots, this rotation is not very good. And like I said, I don't want to, you know, no disrespect to those guys, but you need... As a playoff team, you need playoff caliber starters, and the Blue Jays have two of them, but they don't have enough depth in terms of good starters that can take them far into the playoffs. Because I don't think the Blue Jays would beat the Yankees or even you know any National League team in the World Series in a 7-5 or whatever the series is, because they have the lineup to do it. Arguably, they have the bullpen to do it, but at the end of the day, if your starting pitchers are giving up four or more runs in a very competitive game against a very good team, that is a, lo- a very hard thing to come back from, even if you have a great lineup. Well, thankfully, the Blue Jays are um, still in the hunt, as far as we know, for a number two starter, for a strong reliever, at least according to recent reports, which are saying that the Blue Jays, even after adding all of these guys, are still on the hunt for a high leverage reliever like Trevor Rosenthal or a starting pitcher slotting in behind Hyunjin Ryu. So that's a good news. And like we all agree, the Blue Jays have to add someone like that to make this offseason finished. We're almost at the finish line. Almost. So close to being there. But the final step is getting that number two starter, is getting a reliever. Um, you know, fingers crossed both, but Number two starter, I think, is the priority for the Blue Jays at this point. Um, One small thing that did happen this week, um, I think we're all watching it. George Springer, of course, his official press conference, um, introducing him as a Toronto Blue Jay. There's not much to take away here. There were some funny lines, you know, um, someone asked where George Springer was doing the conference from, and he said from an undisclosed location in the mountains, um, probably at his home in Connecticut, but it was a funny response. Um, 
someone asked him about the uh or not someone steve simmons we all know his name about um the astros cheating in 2017 and he pretty much said you know what i'm proud of our accomplishments i'm proud of what i did i know um that i can you know have trust in my performance and i'm looking forward to doing the same with the blue jays um did you guys take anything really away from this conference because to me it was kind of just you know platitudes he didn't really say much it was the canned responses it was still exciting to watch because of course he is now a toronto blue jay but i didn't really learn anything from this um but what did you guys think uh, i learned a lot from well, actually no i not really i mean <laughs> it was just cool to see the only thing i learned or was how you know how good he does look in a blue jays uniform that was pretty cool right away for him to put on uh the hat and the jersey uh, I just, you know, obviously not a normal introduction press conference from what we saw from Hunjin Ryu last year or any type of signing where they kind of, he would actually probably be in normal circumstance, uh, circumstances, he'd be in Toronto and uh, he'd, you know, be around the dome. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the case that we're in right now. And it was a Zoom press conference, which uh, it was all right. Like, he, you know, he, he spoke well, I think. And I thought he did a good job avoiding that question in particular. And of course, somebody from the New York Post or someone from New York asked him about the Mets, and he avoided that pretty well, good as well. Pretty much saying this is about the Toronto Blue Jays. So that's that's the one thing I take away from it. Um, you know, it's just the the one thing I too is a lot of or there was a question in particular, or you know, there's a lot of comparisons that I've been seeing as well. When you want to talk about the signing again and the current state of the team. And someone that Spring, or something that Springer's been through as well is that it, there's a lot of comparisons to the Houston Astros of 2014, 2015, kind of getting over that hump from being, I guess, atrocious, and then of course building their young prospects and look what they, other than the trash can and this, the cheating scandals, look, you know, look at the quality of the caliber of the, uh, of the team they put together, and regardless if they cheat or not, they're still going to be a playoff team for years to come. And there's a lot of comparisons to the Blue Jays of how they're kind of they were kind of in a similar boat in 2019, and they turned the page in 2020. And in 2021, there's even more expectations for them, and they're only going to get better from here. And we 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 assume that the window here is going to be around that time that George Springer is going to be here, about six years at least, maybe. It depends how much better they could get over the years, but at least going to be five, I'll say four to five years to be safe. But yeah, there's lots of comparisons, and Springer was one of those guys who went through that in Houston, but I've guess the it's kind of like a reverse role for him now is at the time he was the young guy coming up. He was the young guy getting used to the majors and getting over that hump and as the team transitioned to competing, you know, George Springer comes here now in twenty twenty one and he's the guy that is gonna be one of those final pieces and he's gonna be, you know, he's gonna be around the young guys like Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Laura Descurio Jr., all those guys that were here during the rough times of twenty nineteen and now that they were part of the transition in 2020, and George Springer is going to be a guy coming in, I guess at this point, a veteran, and he's going to be trying to guide them to that uh, similar spot that the Astros were in. So that's that's the one takeaway I take from this. And um, like I said at the top, looks good in uh, a Blue Jays uniform. That's all I have to say in his undisclosed location. I think the biggest thing that I took away, and I don't know why this stood out to me, but for some reason it did, is George Springer was asked about... Uh, did the uncertainty of where the Blue Jays are going to play really bother him? And I know we talked about this, you know, is that a thing that's going to influence guys coming over to Toronto or even uh, pre-COVID, post-COVID, any of that? Do people want to play in Toronto, another country outside of the U.S.? And he said, I quote, didn't bother me at all. He clearly, he wants to be part of this Toronto-based organization, whether they're playing in Buffalo, whether they're playing in Florida, whether they're not even in Toronto 
for the entirety of 2020. He wants to be part of this organization. I think that's the biggest thing that stood out to me is, yes, the Blue Jays' uh, home field is in Toronto, and yes, they are a Toronto-based organization, but whether they're playing, like I said, Florida, Buffalo, whether they're on the road the entire season, he is still with the same group of players, and I think that is the reason why he ended up uh, staying or choosing to come to the Blue Jays. And unfortunately, I have seen a bunch of tweets and, and videos about people that used to work with sports, and I've seen Greg Zahn talk about it. I've seen a lot of people mention that one of the things that the Blue Jays have working against them is the fact that they're not in Toronto, and a lot of them have had very vocal, uh, very very uh, strong opinions on the fact that Toronto is not a desirable place, and I think that kind of got into a lot of fans' uh, heads, you know, thinking that Toronto is this very bad place, and I don't think that's true. I think this team is very good, and George Springer recognized that, and he wants to be with this team, and good on him, because honestly, if you if he were to, say, go to the Mets for the exact same contract, six years, $150 million, even though that's not what the Mets offered him, just for comparison's sake, I think that would in my biased opinion, I think that would have been a mistake because the Blue Jays are a good team. Whether they're playing in Toronto, hey, this might only be for this season. Uh, George Springer is coming in uh, starting in the 2021 season, so he might only see one season of of uncertainty. And the next four or five, however long he is with the Blue Jays, might be it might be a dynasty for him the entire time. They might be in Toronto. And I think that that's just the biggest thing that stood out to me is this, this was kind of a big... You know, I don't care what the the outsiders say. Everybody's been saying Toronto's not a desirable place. And, well, you finally have a guy say, you know what? I don't care. This is a good team, and I want to be part of it. You know what, Jacob? This might sound bad, but I do not believe George Springer one bit. I do not believe that, you know, the fact that he didn't know where the Blue Jays were playing, the fact that even if the Blue Jays were playing in Toronto, he would have to pay more in taxes move his family to Canada, stuff like that. I do not believe that didn't bother him. I think it did bother him. I think it is an impact and it is a factor when you think about free agents and where they're going to sign and how much you have to pay them to come to Toronto. I think he just didn't say that because of course he's not going to say that because he's in a Toronto press conference because the Toronto media team trained him on what to say to all of these questions, which they could have predicted all of them because they're very predictable questions, um, except for maybe where are you right now, which it was, as we said, probably the best answer of the press conference. But yeah, I, I don't believe him one bit. I think he was bothered by this. He, if, if the Blue Jays had paid him the exact same amount as the Mets offered, I think he would have gone to the Mets. Like, that's just... I do not believe that this do didn't bother him. I think it did bother him, and that's why the Blue Jays had to pay $150 million instead of what the Mets offered, which was 125 Yeah, a lot of... Um, there was definitely a lot of filtered answers, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, and just because we've, we've lived through it so many times with the narrative of this, this city and this team, is that it is a big deal for these players, and it is something that they look you know they look at but the the one advantage too i guess is he you know a lot of it he did say it seemed true and then a lot of it you can tell you know he was definitely prepped for that pretty easily but you know it toronto i guess or even canada itself it is pretty you know it is only about an hour plane flight uh flight from connecticut so i guess it is still somewhat close other than new york but yeah it's it's a big decision for him to make because you know the one thing too is he's actually starting a, a family himself and i that i didn't know about so you know you can understand why i guess playing on the east coast was something that was important to him but 
yeah, I don't I don't really take too much away from that. Um, I, I do think, though, the one thing that definitely appealed him and appealed to him, the one thing that you can tell he was being uh, pretty serious and honest about was the actual core of this team. And you can tell how that did catch his eye. And that definitely was probably one of the reasons that attracted him to come over here besides the money, because, of course, that was probably the deciding factor. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, the core of the team itself. And it's an appealing team and an appealing franchise. When you want to take out the geography, it is an appealing franchise for this team to come to. But, you know, the thing with George Springer is, you know, I'm sure over the years as well, once we get back to Rogers Center, once fans come back in, once he gets to experience the fan base a little bit better and a little bit more normal, quote, unquote, is that he will... I, he will fall in love with the city and he will love it here. It just may not take, it may take him a little bit to understand that. But, you know, as of now, he definitely probably a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say a question mark, but he definitely was prepped to say that in terms of the location of this team and such. But, you know, he's going to be representing a country. We all know the narrative of that. And I, he is going to be a fan favorite here. Very clear he is. But very quickly, he's going to get even more and more fans. And I think over time, he's going to feel like he did make the right decision. But as of now, um, you know, just because of, we've seen this so many times with players, uh, is that the, the geography definitely is important to people. And, of course, the customs um, is another thing that people look at is maybe a little bit overrated, in my opinion, but something that is always kind of on their minds. But, the you know, the country, it's the fact that they're in a different country itself definitely... Um, is one of the things that I'm sure he was really curious and maybe skeptical about at first, but happy he's here. And, you know, other than that, you just, um, I didn't really take too much away from that. It was just cool to finally have the press conference and the introductory that he had to uh, Blue Jays fans. All right. We got some questions from our listeners for today's podcast. So we're going to run through them a little bit rapid fire here to end the podcast today. Um, the first question is from Jaden. He asked, if you were the GM of the Blue Jays, what would be your highest offer to Trevor Bauer? And I've had a few minutes to ruminate on this question, so I can go first. I'm going to say two two years, $70 million. Because we know Trevor Bauer wants a high average annual value, but I don't think the Blue Jays are willing to spend an absurd amount of money on him over many, many years, especially given now the money they have committed to George Springer, but also the flexibility they have over the next few years, as we've alluded to earlier. I think they would want to benefit from that flexibility, but at the same time, not cost themselves flexibility down the road. So that's what I would say. Two years, $70 million gives them an average annual value of $35 million, which is close to the record, but it also doesn't keep him on the books for that long. Two years, $35 million. I'm going to go out and say that they sign him, I want to say a similar contract, but I think they would sign him for three years. Uh, no real reason why. I just think the the extra term is probably better for the Blue Jays. They want to have some more uh, consistent consistency in the rotation. And I'm going to guess that they sign him for about $90 million. So about 33 and a third per season. I think it's a little bit less than what you said, Mark, but I think that's still comparable. And I mean, obviously, if you're Trevor Bauer, you, still, you know, those extra... A couple million dollars are still going to be an influence and a good factor in that. But I think three years, $33 million, uh, $33 million a season is probably, if I was the GM, the most I would offer. Because I don't think you want to go 35 or above for a starting pitcher. And just to be clear, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to sign Bauer. I think this is the most they would be willing to offer. And then Bauer, I don't, I don't think he would sign with a $70 million deal. I think he wants more term. But that's just that's the max of what I think the Blue Jays would offer. 
yeah, it just it seems like too after acquiring Stephen Matz, it's almost like they kind of cleared up a spot for Trevor Bauer to come over there and go to the Mats. But yeah, um, at you know early in the offseason, I would say that maybe I would if I were the Jays, I'd give him four years. But of of course now it's kind of tailed off a bit, and I think you guys are around. I'm around the similar as you guys. I think I'm a little bit under Jacob. I'm probably going to say around 32. I just think that they won't go to that max annual for him. I just um. It's just one thing that Trevor Bauer as well, you know, I know he's open to shorter term deals, but it seems that, you know, if you're a free agent looking to get paid, uh, you know, the term is probably just as important as the salary. So that's why I I would say four years at first. And I guess that adds up to around $128 million, something like that. So, you know, I guess we're all in a similar ballpark. But yeah, as of now, even if the Jays offered him $2 million, of course, he wouldn't come here most likely. And I just, you know, something that I wasn't really sold on to begin the offseason, just we didn't really even talk about it that much because it just didn't seem very realistic. But, uh, you know, I'm sure the Jays gave him or who knows if they even gave him an offer but if they did I definitely think they would start off with around three four years and I'm sure you know they did have a meeting around uh Christmas time it was earlier in the off season, so who knows what came out of that but obviously now it doesn't seem realistic at all and who knows if they even gave him an offer to begin with other than meetings all right the next question sticking along the same lines this is from Jeff he asks, what starting pitcher do you think would be the best fit for the Blue Jays because as you just mentioned, Trevor Bauer doesn't really make sense for the Blue Jays right now. The name I'm going to go with, it's a familiar name, but Taiwan Walker. I think there's been a mutual interest there the entire offseason, and I think it makes sense. You know, he is young-ish. Um, he is has put up good numbers over, you know, last season. Obviously, he struggled with injuries, but I think he's a perfect type of guy to fit in in the number two spot in the rotation right after Hyunjin Ryu. He gives you that stability. He gives you that depth um, and hopefully can pitch, you know, 160 to 200 innings a season. Taiwan Walker is my guy. I'm going to say the exact same thing, and I've said this literally the entire offseason. I want Taiwan Walker to be signed he was probably my number one move that the Blue Jays needed to make. And like you said, Mark, there's mutual uh, there's mutual interest. Taiwan Walker, earlier in the offseason, he posted that picture on Twitter of this, the Toronto skyline saying he could get used to that. Uh, him and David Price actually had a interaction on Twitter where they were talking about how good the fans are. So he clearly wants to be here. To me, it's, it's just mind-boggling why he is not signed with the Blue Jays yet. And I think that's more on the Blue Jays. They just probably have been so focused on the moves that they have currently made, but if that is definitely who they need, and he's good. I mean, he had a 137 ERA with the Blue Jays in 26 and a third innings. Uh, he didn't pitch in the playoffs just because the Blue Jays didn't get to the game that he was scheduled to start, but he, he's a he's the perfect fit for the Blue Jays because he is good and he wants to be here. So he, if you're Mark Shapiro, you do not work something out with him I've said I trust them and I like them as him and Ross Atkins as management, but I will be very disappointed if he is not signed. Yeah, Tywin Walker, definitely um, a name that I would uh, love to have come back, but I think there's even a better fit in Jake Odorizzi coming here. Someone that we're very familiar with spending most of his career with the Rays, a career ERA itself of three uh, 392. You know, the past couple of years he's been with the Minnesota Twins and 2020 was kind of another thing for him in terms of of what we've seen with players having a down season. If you want to look at the year before that, uh, he was an all-star in 2019 and he had an area of 351 and 30 starts with the twins. Someone who I think would be the best fit for this work or this rotation right now is Jake Odorizzi. He'd be that two to three starter that they're looking for. And I would say James Paxton as well, but after getting Steven Matz, you just, you wonder now maybe, 
if that's a little bit too much or too many left-handers, you already have Robbie Ray that's going to be in there. And it just seems more that Jake Odorizzi would be a better fit, in my opinion. Um, Taiwan Walker, definitely someone they got to keep tabs with, of, of course. But uh, yeah, Jake Odorizzi, it would be my player for the best fit uh, for this rotation as of now. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I just don't see the Blue Jays making that big of a splash. I think Taiwan Walker would be cheaper than Jake Odorizzi, obviously, because Odorizzi has a longer and better track record. Um, and I think the Blue Jays aren't, like like Mark Shapiro said in the press conference, the bulk of their heavy lifting is done. So I just I just see them as going out and having more of a lower key signing in Taiwan Walker instead of Jake Odorizzi. But definitely both of them, I would be super happy with either of them signing with Toronto. Or both, you know, we need the starters. Um, another question coming from Matt. Along the same lines, again, lots of talk about the starters today, but is Ryan Baraki going to get a shot at the starting rotation or will he be a lock for the bullpen? Um, and reading into that question, I'm going to say for the rest of his career. Is Ryan Baraki now officially a reliever or is he going to go back to the starting rotation with the Blue Jays? I'm saying he's staying in the bullpen. I do not see him as someone who is going to go back to the starting rotation. Look, he was a good starter. You know, you go back to 2018, 3.87 ERA over 17 starts, almost 100 innings. That was fantastic, right? He's a very good pitcher. But then you go to 2019, history with injuries, only two starts, six innings, um, uh, ERA over 10. And then you go to 2020, and he found success out of the bullpen, a 2.7 ERA over 16.2 innings, 21 games. None of them are starts. I just see you know, the inertia is for him to stay in the bullpen. He found his place with the Blue Jays in 2020, and it worked wonderfully. So I don't see him being messed with. I don't see the Blue Jays messing with the success they found and moving him back to the rotation. I think one thing we got to kind of clear up is the bullpen is not a demotion for him. It's just where he fits. And if he helps his team win and he's a solid middle inning guy, then that is not a bad thing by any means. But I'm going to say, yeah, he's probably staying in the bullpen just because of the Blue Jays. Whether they make a st uh, another acquisition for a starting pitcher or not, I don't think that they're going to gonna have another p uh, amount of uncertainty going into who's going to fill those spots because obviously with guys like Tanner Roark, Robbie Ray, Steven Matz, you know, they have options. I would like to see a different option, you know, put into that mix, but I don't think it's going to be at the cost of Ryan Barucki in, in the bullpen because I think he's he's been he's been good. Obviously, I was a fan of him in 2018, and then he he struggled a little bit in in the rotation uh, going forward. But I I think he he'll probably stay in the rotation just because the Blue Jays a he fits better there. He he helps them win, and he's good. But also the Blue Jays, I I still think they're gonna make a, an acquisition for a starter. But even if they don't, I think the rotation is probably set without him. Uh, I think Ryan Barucki spends 2021 or at least to start in the bullpen I, I think it's too early to kind of justify if he'll be there for the rest of his career or not or even long term um, as of now the one thing we do know or what Ross Atkins even mentioned at the be beginning of the offseason is season is him and um, alongside Anthony Kay and probably a few other names are going to get a chance to compete for a starting rotation spot and I'm sure Baraki's going to start multiple games in the spring and you know there's lots of uncertainty with certain names in this rotation as of now you know Robbie Ray uh, I wouldn't even be a lock on him 
to, I guess, spend the entire season there. I do think he will start the season there. Tanner Roark, who knows what's going to happen with him. And uh, Steven Matz is that projected fifth starter now on Fangraphs. And Steven Matz, if Ryan Barucki and Steven Matz could compete for a final spot, you can't really rule that out. And, you know, that this moves Ross Stripling to the bullpen, but he's another name that can potentially make the rotation. And if the Jays add a starter, then then it's going to look a little bit more um, tough for him to get in there. But, you know, if that's the case, then the one guy you're looking at that, you know, just seems that you don't want there too long would be Tanner Roark. So it depends on what happens. But I do think at some point this season, Ryan Barucki is going to start a game or two. I just don't think he starts the season in the starting rotation. And um, Jacob said it perfectly. It's not a demotion. It's just in terms of the bodies they have and the fit, the best fit for him to start the year is the bullpen for me, but I do think he gets a start, uh, an opportunity to start. And even with these other names, I guess you can even throw him in there. Is that you know, assuming that there is a minor league baseball season is scheduled, you know, the the Bison's rotation is going to be, um, it is pretty solid from what I've been looking at in terms of the depth that they have. You know, you you can't rule out Ryan Barucki maybe starting in Buffalo as a starting pitcher. Uh, there's Anthony Kay who's going to get an opportunity as well. Trent Thornton, someone going to come back and um, maybe compete for a roster spot as he came off of uh, elbow surgery. There's Thomas Hatch. There's TJ Zoic, Jacob Wagesback, Patrick Murphy. Those are some pretty good names for that Buffalo Bisons rotation as well. So either way, Ryan Barucki starts the season in the bullpen. I do think he makes the the team, but I you know I wouldn't be surprised at some point this year he's going to be starting a game or two. I want to go back to something you said. You don't think Robbie Ray is a lock for the starting rotation? No, no. Like I think he he's a lock to make it out of the spring. I just it depends on the um, depends on how he does. He's on a one year deal as well, but I do think Robbie Ray um, is likely going to stay in there. Yeah, I just yeah. I, I wouldn't call it a lock. I just yeah. Okay, because I, well, I don't see him as anything else besides a starter. Like I I don't I right I think he's the number two guy in the rotation right now. If you look at it, because the rotation is not deep at all, it's very weak. You have Ryu, and then I like like it's Robbie Ray. I, I don't know Ross Stripling right now. I guess he would figure into the picture of the rotation. Nate Pearson is also probably going to be in there, and then of course Tanner Rourke, other names that probably aren't going to be involved, but could be Tyler Chatwood, Stephen Matz. So like I see as Robbie Ray is the number two guy. So I definitely see him in the rotation the entire season. Um, I don't really, I, I don't think he's going to be going to the bullpen at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of ways you can fit Robbie Ray into. He was, um, he opened a few times, but yeah, like, like as of now, it depends on if they add another one or not. But if they don't, of course, he's going to stay in there. You know, he is projected number two right now. There's Nate Pearson as well. So we'll see what happens. But if they add another starter, who knows what that slots in for, or what that means for everybody else. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap things up there. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Um, We got a lot of them. And as you can probably tell, almost all of them were along the lines of starting pitching, when the Blue Jays are going to make a move, when uh, some of these guys are going to sign, who they're going to sign. So thanks for submitting them. And sorry, we can't get to all of them. As always, you can check out our Instagram and Twitter at Section138Pod. If you were following us, you would have known that we were doing a mailbag today and you could have submitted a question. So go follow us there. And then new for this podcast, as I mentioned, we have our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Section138Pod or the link in the description of this podcast. So check that out. Chip in a couple bucks and help us keep doing what we're doing. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next week.